We are talking about the building blocks to rebuilding the wall. We're using the book of Nehemiah, obviously, to do that. And you notice in front of you here, four different building blocks here. We have one that talks about prayer, and we know that was important. We talk about love, we talk about faith, and we talk, we're talking today about work. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Nehemiah 6. As you find your way to Nehemiah 6, stand with me, if you will, this morning, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. I'm so thankful for these guys back there that take care of us. We know this one works. All right. You can adjust however you want. Just because this is Josh's mic, I'm not going to sing to you this morning, okay? Nehemiah 6, beginning with the first verse. Now it happened when Samblat, Tobiath, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall, this is Nehemiah speaking, and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time that we had not hung the doors and the gates, that Samblat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to, me, they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why would the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Then Samblat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. In it it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king, so come therefore and let us consult together. Then I said to him, saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Drop down to verse 15, if you will, with me. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Ulah in 52 days. And it happened when all of our enemies heard it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were dis very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that our work was done by our God. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word today. Father, speak to each one of our hearts, Father, that we might leave here, Father, with a word from you, Father. I pray too, Lord, that we all leave this place in just a little bit different than the way we walked in. Father, we thank you now for your holy word. We thank you for Jesus Christ most of all. And we pray these things in his precious holy name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, God had a plan to rebuild those walls. And he set apart this man, Nehemiah, to do exactly that. Nehemiah was an ordinary man. Listen very carefully. An ordinary man that God had an extraordinary plan for. You know who that describes? Every one of us. We're all just ordinary. I think some of you are extraordinary. But God desires to do something supernatural with each one of our lives. He desires to take us and use us for his glory, but he also wants us to do something way beyond the possibilities of even our remotest thoughts. God has an incredible plan for each and every one of us. Nehemiah loved God. That was the basis for him being used. He did these things we talked about last week and last few weeks here. It's a great story about prayer. It's a great story about faith. It's a great story about love. And today we're going to talk about hard work. If we desire to serve God, there's going to be some hard work involved. 
There's no work involved to receive that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's purely based on faith, faith in him alone. If you look in your bulletin for just a second this morning, I've enclosed a bookmark there for you. And I'd like you to use that bookmark, but I want to kind of go through what we talked about here very quickly with that bookmark. I want you to see that God has an incredible plan for your life. God desires for you and I to break up and build, rebuild the walls maybe in our life that have been revoken. Maybe there's something in our life that needs to be rebuilt. This is how we rebuild things, including the church, our nation. The first thing is to pray. If you remember, Nehemiah got the word that the walls in Jerusalem were torn down. So what did he do? He had incredible anguish. He wept. But he had a burden for the things that burdened God's heart. He realized that God had a better plan for Jerusalem than the way it stood right now. So he, bro- he had a broken heart. He was fasting and he was praying for the glory of God. He was praying for the things that God had broken God's heart. The next week we talked about faith. We talked about the fact that Nehemiah trusted God to take on this mission. He realized that he was to be used of God to do this, to rebound the walls. But he also had the faith in God to realize that can happen. How many times do we get stalled out in our life and realize, you know, I can't do that because I don't know how to do it. God does not always call the equipped, but he always equips the called. You know that. We talked about having genuine faith that week, though. And I want you to realize this. There needs to be a repentant attitude in your heart when you get saved. And you can understand that I have truly repented when your life has changed. I believe there's no true repentance unless you've been changed. What do you mean changed, Pastor? I mean your life was going this way, and now it's going that way. God has an incredible different plan for you. I no longer have the same nature. I'm a brand new creation, God says. I am a new person because of Jesus Christ. I have changed. My mission used to be to go out on Friday nights and do horrible things, worldly things. I no longer have that same nature anymore. I have a desire to go out and do great things for God all, every day of the week, all week long. The next thing we talked about, love. Remember what we talked about there? We talked about the Great Commission, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And also to love your neighbor as yourself. The great, the great commandment. Then the Great Commission. Go out, and make, go out and make disciples in all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Great Commission. Go out this week and invite somebody to church. Go out and introduce somebody to Jesus Christ, maybe for the first time when they come to church. We need to love our neighbors as ourselves. We need to have a burden for our neighbors. We need to pray for our neighbors. We need to pray for those in our sphere of influence that they might know. What is the biggest problem with America today? Lack of love. You don't need to watch the TV for any more than about five minutes and realize, man, there's a problem out there with people hating people. It's amazing the things they get so upset about. The problem is that we're not loving the way God told us to love enough. Today, we're going to talk about working. We're going to talk about how Nehemiah rebuilt those walls in 52 days. It was a miracle. I want you to think about this. Nehemiah's work team, there was not a single masonry person on there. There wasn't an engineer in there. There wasn't an architect. There weren't any general contractors. There weren't any men that knew how to frame anything. And they used all old products. They used the stones that were on the ground, the burnt stones on the ground. But they rebuilt that wall in engineering feet. I've seen that wall. Some of you have seen it as well. They rebuilt that wall in 52 days. God did that. One of the things we're going to talk about when we talk about work is attitude. Our attitude reflects everything. The little comment I put on your card, attitude determines our altitude. I want you to ponder that thought for a second. We're going to explain it here in a minute. Nehemiah had the right attitude. 
He had God first and he had others next. He had a desire in his heart to do something great for God. He wasn't equipped. He was a cupbearer for the king. That was the furthest thing from his mind, I'm sure, before he heard about the walls. And then he began praying and realized that God wanted to use him. He said, God, use me if you can. He didn't know how God was going to use him, but he used him. I want you to ponder this, uh, this thing seriously because it makes all the difference in our life. Your attitude, more than your aptitude, will determine your altitude. Zig Ziglar came up with that thought, and I think it's profound. Your attitude, more than your aptitude, is going to determine your altitude. What does that mean? It means that your attitude is a better predictor of your success than your IQ or your GPA. Listen to this. A fellow by the name of Dr. Martin Siegelman did extensive research and surveys dealing with attitudes. He wrote a book called Learn Optimism. In that book, he put some of his surveys down there, but he came to realize doing a massive nationwide survey that more than 70% of the millionaires in America today never graduated from college. Go figure. And think about this for a second. He also realized that something like 75, it's right, just under 75% of the CEOs at all levels in America today graduated in the bottom half of their class if they went to college. Aptitude is not going to indicate as much as your attitude is your success in life. Your success as a Christian, your success as a husband or wife, your success as anything. Attitude's everything. Attitude is everything. In Dr. Siegelman's book, he came to realize that there's a lot of things in our life that can cause us to fall in the negative. People with negative attitudes get divorced more than people that have a good attitude. People with negative attitudes lose their jobs quicker than people that have a good attitude. People that have a good attitude make more money than those that do not have a good attitude. Attitude is the basis of success. Attitude is also a choice. You and I have a choice every single morning when we get up to have a good attitude or not to have a good attitude. You know, some people will say, well, I can't help it. That's just the way I feel. Or that's just the way I am. They want to kind of sign it off that I've always been like that. Really? Well, it's time to change. It's time to do something different. We can all change the way we feel. It's putting our focus on the right things. It's not being focused on circumstances. It's being focused on a relationship. Think about this. God tells us this in Psalm 118. This is the day that I have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that he has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Or how about this? Paul told the Philippian church, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know, when we have a focus on God, we can't help but rejoice. When I draw close to God, you can't help but be overwhelmed with optimism. You can't be overwhelmed with joy. Because, man, I'm walking with God today. I'm seeing God do great things in my life today. You know, it's very easy for you and I to kind of fall into the circumstances, though, because we all face tough circumstances. We all deal with crises. We all deal with trials and tribulations. It's very easy for you and I to fall in to the pit of negativity. I'm sure we've all gone through toll booths before. You pull up that toll booth and you give that person a little change and they might give you change back and then the little gate lifts and you drive off. It's tough in a toll booth to have a strong personal relationship with the person that's in that booth, isn't it? Don't have a whole lot of time. 
about six months ago, I drove up to Leesburg for a pastor's conference. It was a one-day pastor's conference and went through a couple of toll booths up there. Pulled up the toll booth and there was a pretty good amount of music coming out of the toll booth. I looked around for a little bit to see if somebody had their windows down. It wasn't. It was coming out of the toll booth. Pulled up there was a young guy, probably 22, 23 years old. Man, he was having a good time. Man, he was just up there. Dancing a little bit around there, moving, moving around. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? And I handed him my dollar. That's all it was. And so a gate would go up and I said, man, you're an enthusiastic mood today. You make my day. You're just seeing how energetic you are today. You having a good day? He said, I am. I said, how come? As a pastor, I was waiting for that right answer. And he said, uh, I graduate in a week, and I'm going to be an engineer, and I got my job already lined up too. The Lord has been good to me. I thought, praise the Lord, buddy. I agree with you. God is good all the time. How many times have you pulled up a tongue booth, and it's almost like they don't really want to deal with you? This guy had an enthusiasm about life. Why? Because he had a vision. He had an optimism about life. Now, even though he's working this job, I'm sure he's working that job so he could pay for his schooling or get ready to move or whatever it might be. But he had an optimism beyond being in that toll booth that day. We can all have an attitude beyond where we find ourselves this day because God is good. God has a plan for you. He tells us over and over, I know the plans I have for you. He tells us that our eyes haven't seen, our ears haven't heard, nor our mind conceived the plans that God has for us. That's enough to get excited about life. That's enough for you and I to say, hey, man, I'm having a great life because God has a plan. I don't like what today's going to be about. I have to go get some medical tests or whatever it might be. But we can say, God has a plan. I can't tell you how many people in this church have told me, I'm going in for this or I have this going on in my life, but you know, I'm just trusting God. God's in control. doesn't help to worry. If I ask you this morning to describe words that would describe a person that has a winning attitude about life, that has a living in victory type attitude in life, what might you say? Maybe you come up with a positive attitude. Somebody's a winner. Somebody has a winning attitude. They have a positive attitude. Maybe you say they're enthusiastic or they're loving. They're determined. They're motivated. They're confident. They're optimistic. They're hardworking. They're devoted to God. They've got a relationship with a living God through Jesus Christ. Nehemiah had the right attitude. I want you to think about some of these contrasts. These deal with Nehemiah, but they also deal with us when we don't have the right attitude. A person with the right attitude is always going to be part of the answer. A person with the wrong attitude is usually going to be part of the problem. A person with the right attitude always has a plan. A person with the wrong attitude usually has an excuse. A person with the right attitude says, let me help you. A person with the wrong attitude might say, that's not my job. A person with the right attitude says, it may be difficult, but it's possible. A person with the wrong attitude might say, it may be possible, but it's going to be too difficult. We're talking about work today. Nehemiah planned his work with God, and then he worked the plan with God. I don't know about you, but I like work. I really do like work. I like, to, I like to think about work. I like to watch it, and it fascinates me. But what I really love, I love to sit down and watch people work. We're going to look at three different thoughts here about work this morning. Who are we working for? The first thought this morning been working and living for the glory of God. Are you really working and living for the glory of God? Is he the reason I'm here? Absolutely. Do I think about that? 
do I realize that God has put me here? That every good and perfect gift comes from God? You know, all of us as human beings do a lot of things. We do a lot of things that a lot of times don't really matter. We can get our lives so filled with busy work that we forget kind of which way we're going. The Bible is very clear that we need to redeem the time. We need to walk circumspectly, it says. That means we need to exactly know exactly where we're walking. Walk where God would have us to walk. Do the things that are most important. I think those of us that are older can look back and realize, man, I wish I'd spent more time here, more time there. You've heard the soundbite before that says, you know, you won't get to your deathbed and wish you'd put more time in at work. None of us will do that. But I wish we'd had more time with my family or my kids or my grandkids, whatever it might be. The question for all of us today, what are you doing with what you got for the glory of God? What are you doing with what you got for the glory of God? Are you working for the Lord? The book of Nehemiah is all about revival and restoration. It's all about bringing back the glory of God to where the glory of God had kind of departed. There's a word in the Old Testament called Ichabod. It means the Spirit has departed. You could pretty much put that sign above Jerusalem at the time when Nehemiah went back there. There were still people that called themselves Israelites, but they weren't living for the Lord, nor do they really care about God's holy city. Israelites were broken. They were hopeless. They turned their back on God. You know, for them, but also for us, it's time to stop looking around and begin looking up like you've never looked up before. We're living in confusion times, confusing times. We're living in precarious times. We're living in times when people are leaving the church in droves. People are leaving God in droves. People out there that are shouting at the top of their lungs that there is no God. It's time for the people of God to get serious about proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a time for you and I to begin to begin being more bold as opposed to more bashful. More forthright as opposed to more in the, in the closet. God is waiting for you and I proclaim the greatest news the world has ever heard. It's time for you and I to look up like we've never looked up before. The Israelites had accepted the condition as normal. They were just living there for hundreds of years. The city in desolation. They felt it was terminal. They'd given up. I'm here to tell you that God had a new normal for them. And God has a new normal for each and every one of us. Somebody in this room today, I believe, needs to hear this. Maybe you've been looking at life as terminal. Maybe you've been looking at a situation in your life as terminal. It's not terminal. Maybe the devil said it's terminal. Maybe the doctor has given you bad news and said it's terminal. Maybe your lawyer said it's terminal. Your enemies may say it's terminal, and maybe some of your friends are even starting to agree with them. You're looking at broken down walls in your life, and it looks hopeless. Looks like it can never be repaired. You can't see how God may be able to put this marriage back together. You can't see how God could ever heal this disease you have. You can't see how God would ever restore your family. You can't see how you're going to get out of debt. I'm not sure what you're looking at today, but God has a plan. It's not over. It's not beyond repair. Nothing is outside God's reach. It's not hopeless. With God, all things are possible. You need to realize that in our life. It can be restored. It can be rebuilt. God's word is still in his book and he's still on his throne. God has a life for every one of us. We need to begin living like we're not defeated, like we're not discouraged or depressed. We need to begin living like we're victorious. Realize that God has a work for us to do. It may not be in your marriage. It may not be in your family. 
It may be in your neighborhood. Maybe there's families that live across the street right now that they're getting ready to explode. And think about this. You're going to hear it a couple times from me this morning. Maybe God's saying, Gary, Amy, walk across the street. Invite those people across the street to come to church this Sunday. Amy, Gary, invite that person that you work with. Invite your friend that you just saw this last week to church. God's saying, hey, I have a plan for you, but I also have a plan for your neighbors and for your friends. The walls in their life may be shattered. Maybe they've pulled in, and maybe they don't look shattered. Maybe they're living a new normal, which is not normal from God's perspective. Maybe they're just getting by. Maybe you could be that sunshine, Jesus Christ sunshine, into their life and make a difference. You know what will happen? God will use you to bring them to church, to share your testimony with them, to share the Lord with them. But you know what will happen? Those people who look like you is thank you so much for having the boldness to come over and knock on my door and say, come to church with me. Because it changed my life. We've seen it over and over in this church. I've seen it personally. You've seen it personally. How God changes lives. God is in the transformation business. I'm here to tell you as I'm standing up here as sure as can be that there's people in your sphere of influence that are living destroyed lives but by the grace of God. They're waiting for somebody to come tell them the answer. They're waiting for somebody to come shine some hope in their life. They're waiting for somebody to come do something different in their life. They've tried everything. They've gone to all the secular psychologists out there. No resolve. There's only one cure for all the problems in this world, and it's right here. It's Jesus Christ and His Holy Word. Where do you see yourself determined today? I love this verse. Verse number 3. Samblet and Geshem and all the enemies had kind of They'd come against Nehemiah five different times. They were trying every type of strategy to destroy Nehemiah and the Israelites from building that wall. They didn't want them to do that. Their final resolve here was, well, let's trick them off the wall. Let's invite them to come down from that wall and have some tea. Let's kind of get together and have a little party down here. So you send a note to Nehemiah and see if he'll come down. I love what Nehemiah said. Verse 3 there. It says, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Think about that. I'm doing a great work. You know, he could have said, for God, because that's who he's doing that great work for. I'm doing a great work, but I cannot come down. You know, we've talked about this before when we see Christology in the Old Testament. We see pictures of Christ. You know who else was up high doing a great work? He could have come down. He could have called 10,000 angels. But you know what he was thinking? I'm doing a great work for God, and I'm going to endure this cross for you all. I'm not coming down. I love it when we see pictures of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. You see him all the place. Where do you see determination in your life? Are you determined? Nehemiah prayed. He had faith in God. He loved, but he also worked at it. He fought the good fight. He finished the course, and he kept the faith. Where do you see determination in your life? Do you see determination in your life? I heard this this last week, and I loved it, obviously. Secretary of Defense, James Mattis. He was on some sort of newscast, and the announcer there asked him a question. He says, uh, who causes you to lose sleep at night? Kind of anxious to see his answer. You know what he said? He said, nobody causes me to lose sleep at night. I cause other people to lose sleep at night. Aren't you thankful you have a defense secretary like that <laughs> that realizes my role? He's determined. He determined he's not going to be intimidated. He's not going to back out. 
And uh, what we see in that and what we understand in our Defense Department, too, I'm thankful for all our veterans today, is the fact that they're willing to give themselves completely for us, just like Jesus Christ did. They stand strong. I don't know if you know this about Henry Ford. Henry Ford had a great idea to begin manufacturing cars and trucks. His first attempt failed in bankruptcy. His second attempt, same result, put all kinds of money in there, had all kinds of great plans, and it failed. Well, you know what Henry Ford did? He quit. No. He had determination. He tried a third time. You know what happened? He had a little small success. He started an auto industry, an auto manufacturing company. Number one manufacturing auto company in America today. In fact, I'd venture to say a number of you guys rode here this morning in a Ford. Didn't give up. How about this thought? 33 publishers refused to publish Teddy's book. Rejection over and over and over again. He just couldn't figure it out. They kept telling him, we have no use for it. We have no use for you. No use for it. We don't want to publish a book. He finally got one guy to tell him why they wouldn't publish it. He says, we're not going to publish you because nobody would ever buy a book by somebody with the last name of Seuss. Teddy Seuss. Go figure. 33 rejections before finally somebody picked him up. You know, the millions of books are a monument to the fact of determination. 33 publishers turned him down. But he stayed after him. To rebuild the walls of our lives, of our homes, of our church, of our nation, you and I need to stay after it. We need to stay in such a way as that we're going to accomplish what God would have us to do. I love the fact that Nehemiah didn't quit. I'm doing a great work. I'm not coming down off the wall. Final thought this morning. Working together and finishing strong, verses 15 and 16. Look at these for just a second. So, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Ula in 52 days. And it happened when all of our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. As I mentioned a few moments ago, finish that wall in 52 days with nothing short of a miracle of God. Our God is a God of miracles, but he wants to use us to accomplish those miracles. He wants to use us to flow through, to touch somebody else's life and let them see the miracle of salvation through Jesus Christ. God is all about using us, his children, the chosen generation, the royal priesthood, his holy nation, his own precious people, it says in Peter. God has set you and I apart to be used of him. Do you know what we need to do? We need to pray to be used. We need to grow in our faith. God, grow my faith. God, I desire to have real faith. We need to love one another. Love God with all of our heart. And then we need to work at it. We need to do these things. I love the last part of verse 16 there. It says this. That all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by God. You know what happened here? We dishearten enemies when they see God working. Even people that do not want anything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They can't disavow, they can't reject the idea that that's a miracle. What happened there is a miracle. We've had men, mostly men in this church, I think, a couple of ladies, but men for sure that have been so far gone out there, most people say there's no hope for, the, for, for, 
for that, for that person. They're so lost. They're so caught up in this world there. But you know what? God had a different plan. God changed them. Destroyed life by the grace of God. God changed them. Their friends began seeing them. You're not the same person you used to be. You're so different. What happened here? God is in the habit of transforming. God is in the habit of taking you and I and doing extraordinary things. But it all comes down to the point when we're going to get serious about walking with God. I'm teaching a Bible study both on Tuesday mornings and Friday mornings. Guys, that's an advertisement for you. <coughs> we're talking about James on Friday mornings, doing Jeremiah on Tuesday. But this last Friday morning, sitting here with these guys, I was overwhelmed with the power of this book. I want you to ponder this for just a second. There's no problem on this world, in this world that you'll ever encounter that this book doesn't address. God is the answer. God has given us the secret of life. It's right here. God has given us the opportunity to get to know him, to understand his character, to understand who he is, to realize truly who he is. God's given us life, this book right here. You know, unfortunately, many of us don't get in, even your pastor. Every time I go through a week, I say, man, I wish I'd gotten my Bible more. I get in every day. But I said, I wish I'd put more time in my Bible. Think about it. When we come to a point in our life when we truly realize how powerful this book is, we can't put it down. I can't get it out of my mind. I can't stop thinking about it. God desires to do a great work. You think about all these things we're talking about here doing? You know how this come about? When I get serious about this book. When I get serious about this book, it means I've gotten serious about God. I got serious about my relationship with Jesus Christ. I've gotten serious about exercising and staying on the way of the Holy Spirit in my life. God has an incredible plan. If we leave this book parked on the side bench, we're never going to realize the fullness of that plan. God wants to do something spectacular, supernatural in your life. Listen very carefully. And I'm not thinking about having grandeur where you're preaching to hundreds of thousands of people around the world like Billy Graham. I'm talking about you going next door and loving your neighbor so much, loving your neighbor that's destined right now for hell because he does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and saying, hey, you and I have become kind of good friends. I'd like to invite you to church. Will you come with me this next Sunday? We're having lunch afterwards. I'd like to treat you to lunch too. I'll meet you at the front door at 1045 and invite him in. That's, how I, that's, the, that's the greatness that God's looking for. Raising the family that when your children leave home, you know that their foundation is in Jesus Christ. They're going to live in the world for Jesus Christ and not go off bonkers the way the world's going. But they're going to realize the difference. We need to be determined and work hard. Last thought for the day, as you guys know, I like to conclude messages about ten times. Here. Last Monday we celebrated Memorial Day. What a precious time that is. friend Bill and I, before the service, were talking about World War II veterans. Yesterday marked the 75th anniversary of the Battle of Midway. You historian buffs realize what that was, but uh, that battle was the first major naval battle that we got engaged in after Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor, Harbor except for a few aircraft carriers, pretty much destroyed the Pacific fleet. It was a very successful attack, very damaging to us. It would have been very easy for Americans to almost put your hand, their hands up in the air and say, we surrender. There was no surrender. There was no desire on behalf of the military to even think about giving up. Immediately after the attack, they changed some things around. They changed a few commanders around. But they began planning, where can we attack first? 
where's the most strategic place that we can attack? I don't know if you know where Midway's at in the ocean out there, but it's actually part of the extended chain of the Hawaiian Islands. It's about 1,300 miles from Hawaii. It was a small base for America, but one of the things strategic. But the Japanese realized that if they could take this little island they'd have and they could make a base there, they'd have a very significant location to launch all kinds of uh, death and destruction against America. We didn't know they were going to go there, but because of the strategic planning, because of the phenomenal intelligence we had, we deciphered some of their codes and realized that they're going for Midway. And so we sent our aircraft carriers there, and it was a phenomenal attack. It changed the course, listen very carefully, that one battle six months after, after um, Pearl Harbor changed the course of the war. Why was that? Because of the determination of Americans because it's determination that we're going to defend our way of life. We're going to defend what God's given us here in this nation. The Japanese lost four aircraft carriers and two heavy cruisers that day and some smaller ships. They never got over that. They didn't have the industrial complex that we had at that time. They couldn't build ships fast enough for how fast we were sinking them. But that day set them behind for the whole rest of the war. They never caught up. They fought longer, as you know, for four more years. But they never caught up. It changed the course of the war because of that determination. Our nation is under attack today. You and I, do we have the determination to share? The only thing that's going to fix America today is this in Jesus Christ, okay? That's the only thing. We can appreciate politicians that kind of line up with what we think is right or what the Bible says, but nothing's going to change America except for this. Nothing's, nobody's going to change America but us. God's people here in America began getting serious about what we have and sharing that faith. I want to tell you, I've been praying about it, I know some of you have too, but I believe that benchmark can begin next week. It can be the turn of the time for this county, for this state, as we reach out to our neighbors and let them know that Jesus Christ is alive. And I want you to come celebrate that fact with me on Sunday. You and I have an incredible opportunity, but also an incredible time in our life right now as we see all kinds of things in this world that aren't right, that aren't biblical, we can begin a revival right here. That revival starts when each and every one of us gets serious in our heart to do these things, but also to say, God, use me. Let the revival start right here. Show me in my life, God, what's standing in the way of me serving you completely, but also being filled with the fullness of life.